Welcome to the MacArthur Memorial Podcast. Located in Norfolk, Virginia, the MacArthur Memorial is a museum and research center dedicated to the life and legacy of General of the Army Douglas MacArthur. The memorial is also dedicated to preserving and presenting the story of the millions of men and women who served with General MacArthur. Each month, the staff of the memorial will use this podcast to explore topics relating to General MacArthur and his times. The relationship between General Douglas MacArthur and his mother, Mary Pinckney Hardy, played a very important role in shaping the man he became. As he would later admit, this relationship was one of the dominating factors of his life. He would refer to his mother as a comrade, and he would look to her as a trusted ally. He would also fear her disapproval. As Army Chief of Staff in the 1930s, he remarked that she had raised his father to a lieutenant general's three stars, and he attributed his own greater success to the fact that she'd had a much earlier start with him. This month's podcast will explore the life of Mary Pinckney Hardy and her role in MacArthur's life. Mary Pinckney Hardy was born in Norfolk, Virginia on May 22, 1852. Known as Pinky, she was one of 14 children. Her father, Thomas A. Hardy, owned a wholesale cotton business, and while the Hardy family was not part of Norfolk's elite, by the time Pinky was born, the family fortunes were steadily improving. During the winter, the family lived in Norfolk in a large brick house called River Edge. When warmer weather came, the family summered at Burnside, their home in Henderson, North Carolina. Little is known about Pinky's early childhood, but when she appears in surviving family letters, she emerges as a precocious, energetic child. Pinky was eight years old when Confederates fired shots at Fort Sumter in South Carolina in April of 1861. A little over a year later, Norfolk, Virginia fell to the Union Army on May 10, 1862. The city was surrendered on the steps of the City Hall building, a building that today houses the MacArthur Memorial. The Hardy Home River Edge was eventually taken over to serve as a Union hospital, and then as headquarters for General Benjamin Butler. Pinky and her family retired to their home in North Carolina, and Norfolk remained under occupation for the rest of the war. Accounts differ, but at least three of Pinky's brothers fought for the Confederacy, following Robert E. Lee's flag on Virginia's bloody fields. Living at Burnside in Henderson, North Carolina, Pinky and the rest of the family were relatively untouched by war until the spring of 1865. En route from Savannah, Georgia to Petersburg, Virginia, General Sherman camped his army on the fields adjacent to Burnside. The Hardy family clearly saw this act as an unlawful occupation, and combined with their dwindling fortunes, it led the family to bitterly resent the Yankees. After the war ended, Pinky's father took steps to take the oath of allegiance to the United States in order to reclaim his business and his property. He appealed to President Johnson for the pardon, and by April of 1866 the pardon had been granted, and he was able to reclaim his property in Norfolk. By then, however, River Edge was badly in need of repairs, and in April of 1867 the family moved to Baltimore while the home was renovated. Around this time, even though the Hardy family was Episcopalian, P. 
Pinky was enrolled at Mount DeSales Academy, a Catholic girls' school in Cantonsville, Maryland. The Hardy family returned to Norfolk in 1868, but Pinky remained behind and graduated from the school in 1871, having earned the school's highest honor, a crown and a gold medal for uniform excellence of conduct. As the Hardy family fortunes ebbed and flowed in the years following the Civil War, Pinky began to travel frequently. On a visit to New Orleans in 1874, a 22-year-old Pinky met a young Captain Arthur MacArthur at a Mardi Gras ball. Although he was a Yankee war hero and she was a proud daughter of the South, it was apparently love at first sight. The two corresponded for a year before announcing their plans to wed. They married in May of 1875 at River Edge in Norfolk. Two of her brothers, who were Confederate veterans, refused to attend the ceremony. Pinky was enamored with military heroes and adventure, and likely anticipated an exciting life as an officer's wife. Following the wedding, the couple was stationed in Washington, D.C. That close to the seat of power, Pinky probably thought that she would spend most of her days lobbying for her husband at a series of parties, dinners, and other social events each week. Unbeknownst to the couple, however, they would not be long in Washington society. They would spend most of their young lives in what they probably considered exile, on bleak army posts in the American West, waiting for someone to take an interest in Arthur's career. On June 1, 1876, the couple's first child, Arthur, was born in Norfolk at River Edge. Their second son, Malcolm, was born in October of 1878 in New England. In July of 1879, they were transferred to Little Rock, Arkansas. Pinky was once again pregnant and planned to return to Norfolk for the birth of her third child. Her plans were foiled when Douglas MacArthur arrived prematurely on January 26, 1880. Even though he was born in Little Rock, papers in Norfolk, Virginia, later ran birth announcements explaining that he'd been born while his parents were away from Norfolk. In July 1880, Pinky's husband was transferred to Fort Wingate in the New Mexico Territory. Pinky made the long journey to Fort Wingate with three children between the ages of four and six months. Even though the journey was physically challenging, arrival did not mean life got any easier. Fort Wingate was a harsh environment, especially so for a woman with young children. Because her husband was often away policing Indian reservations and protecting railway workers, Pinky was frequently left to her own devices. It is probably a testament to her resilience and ambition that as a woman whose major accomplishments at the time were cotillion dancing, embroidery, watercolor painting, and the decoration of chinaware, she was able to survive and raise children in this forbidding environment. Two years later, the family returned to Norfolk for an extended visit. While there, the young boys contracted measles. Douglas and his older brother Arthur recovered, but on April 12, 1883, Malcolm died of measles. He was four and a half years old, and Pinky was devastated. In the months that followed, she increasingly focused her attention on Douglas. It is clear that she saw him as increasingly precious, and firmly believed that he had been spared for a special purpose. This increased interest, almost bordering on obsession, would shape the rest of his life. In 1884, the family embarked on a rough 300-mile journey from Fort Wingate to Fort Selden, located along the Rio Grande. 
Pinky raised her young sons on this wilderness post for over four years, taking charge of their early education. Again, frontier life was hard for Pinky, but it would take more than the hardships of Fort Wingate and Fort Selden to dampen her hopes for her husband and sons. In 1889, her patience finally paid off when her husband was called to Washington, D.C. Once there, Pinky threw herself into promoting her husband's career. Many of the contacts she made during this time would later be put to use furthering the career of her son, Douglas. Within another four years, the family was then transferred to the Midwest. This time, Pinky's eldest son, Arthur, remained behind to study at Annapolis. From this point on, securing her youngest boy's future became her central mission. Convinced that the Army was Douglas's destiny, Pinky directed her considerable energy to obtaining a political appointment for him to West Point. When this avenue failed, she worked to ensure that he was prepared to take a special exam to earn admittance to the school. Before taking the exam, Douglas experienced a bout of severe anxiety. Undeterred, Pinky told him, Doug, you'll win if you don't lose your nerve. You must believe in yourself, or no one else will believe in you. Be self-confident and be self-reliant. He passed with flying colors and was admitted to West Point in 1899. Pinky followed Douglas to West Point, where she moved into Craney's Hotel across from the school grounds. She remained there until he graduated in 1903, serving as a constant source of support, but also as an ever-present reminder of his military birthright and his much-anticipated destiny. Within a year of Douglas's graduation, Pinky and her husband, who was now a general, embarked on an official tour of military bases in Asia. While her husband traveled around Manchuria, Mongolia, and Japan, studying the Russo-Japanese War, Pinky temporarily settled in Tokyo. In the past, she had always chosen to stay close to Douglas, and it has been speculated that her reason for going on this trip with her husband was her hope that Douglas would eventually join them as a member of his father's staff in what would have been an officially sanctioned long-term family reunion. In the end, this is exactly what happened. On October 3, 1905, the War Department issued the necessary orders, and by the end of the month, a young Lieutenant Douglas MacArthur sailed from San Francisco to join his parents in Japan. After he arrived, the family began their monumental trek through Asia. The MacArthurs traveled overland and by sea from Japan to the Khyber Pass in Afghanistan. On their return trip, the family passed through Thailand, or what was then Siam. There, the MacArthurs were dinner guests of Siam's King Chulalongkorn. After dinner, the MacArthurs were taken on a tour of Chulalongkorn's palace. When the group passed through the throne room, Pinky exclaimed that she would like to see the king sit on his throne. The U.S. ambassador's wife, who was present, wrote that the king entered into the joke of the thing, seated himself on the royal throne, and sat smiling at Pinky as she made exaggerated bows to him. According to the ambassador's wife, Pinky seemed utterly unconscious of having done anything out of the ordinary and later took the king's arm as if he were a close friend. Later, she shocked the group again when she grasped the king's hand and told him he was a darling. The MacArthurs finished their trip in Japan, and in 1906 they returned to the United States. Pinky's husband retired from the military in 1909. 
Pinky, however, did not retire and continued to devote herself to furthering her son's career. In September of 1912, her husband collapsed and died at a reunion of a Civil War regiment. Douglas and his older brother Arthur raced to comfort Pinky. By all accounts, she was inconsolable and distraught with grief. It was clear that one of her sons would have to take care of her, and that duty ultimately fell to Douglas. He moved Pinky to his relatively uncomfortable quarters at Fort Leavenworth. Eventually, Army Chief of Staff Major General Leonard Wood took sympathetic note of Pinky's plight and had Douglas transferred to Washington, D.C., where he was able to obtain better living arrangements. In Washington, Pinky's condition rapidly improved, and with single-minded determination, she began to lobby on behalf of her son. It is difficult to know exactly how aware Douglas was of his mother's work on his behalf, but whatever the case, he was certainly not ignorant of her ambition for him. When the United States entered World War I in 1917, Douglas went to France with the 42nd Division. Even though Pinky could not accompany him, it didn't stop her from trying to influence events from thousands of miles away. Extolling her son's virtues and battlefield accomplishments, she wrote letters to Secretary of War Newton Baker and her old acquaintance General John J. Pershing, asking both men to consider making her son a brigadier general. Whatever impact she had on the promotion, and it should be noted that her son had already proved himself an excellent battlefield commander in the fighting, before the war ended, her son was a brigadier general. When the war ended, Douglas returned to the United States and was named superintendent of West Point. Pinky moved into the superintendent's house as her son's hostess. In this capacity, she entertained dignitaries such as President Harding, the Prince of Wales, and the King of the Belgians. This was a happy time for Pinky until Douglas announced his intention to marry Louise Cromwell Brooks. Louise was a wealthy socialite who had gone to all the best finishing schools, but she was also a poster child for the Roaring Twenties, a lover of bathtub gin, bobbed haircuts, short skirts, and jazz. It is likely that no other woman would have ever passed muster when it came to her son, but Louise represented a world where destiny, duty, honor, and the military were not the currency of life. While the newspapers heralded what they labeled the marriage of Mars and Millions, Pinky did not attend the wedding. Douglas had disappointed her in his choice of a wife, but to Pinky this did not mean that his destiny had changed or that her efforts on his behalf should stop. If anything, she threw herself into a renewed effort to see him promoted once again. Not satisfied with having her son be a very young brigadier general, Pinky wanted him to be a major general. She wrote to then Army Chief of Staff, General Pershing, Your own life is so full to overflowing with joys and happiness that it may be hard for you to understand the heartaches and bitter disappointments in the lives of others. Won't you be real good and sweet, the dear old Jack of long ago, and give me some assurance that you will give my boy his well-earned promotion before you leave the army? God bless you and crown your valuable life by taking you to the White House. Her son ultimately received this promotion, but it was likely influenced by other factors, not just the letter. Nevertheless, Pinky saw her letter as the catalyst. The marriage between Douglas and Louise eventually collapsed, and Pinky once again resumed her place by her son's side. 
In 1930, she saw her 50-year-old son become Army Chief of Staff, a position that had evaded her husband but had raised her son to the temporary four-star rank of general. Once again, she resumed her duties as chief hostess for her son. When he left this position in 1935, Pinky set out to the Philippines with him, where once retired from the Army, he was to become Field Marshal of the Philippines. From the beginning of the trip to the Philippines, Pinky had been in poor health. As they sailed for Manila, her son spent most of his time at her bedside. During one of his rare social outings on the trip, he met Jean Faircloth, a fellow passenger and his future wife. The two women never met, but as his mother's condition worsened, Jean began to slowly take on Pinky's role of supporter and encourager. Within five weeks of Pinky's arrival in Manila, she died of a stroke and her body was temporarily stored by the U.S. Army morgue. Distraught, Douglas ordered that his mother's room in the Manila Hotel be sealed off. He wrote to a friend, My loss has partially stunned me. For the first time in my life, I need all the help I can get. He would receive relief from his grief through his deepening friendship with Jean Faircloth. In 1937, he accompanied Pinky's body to the United States, where she was buried beside his father at Arlington National Cemetery. Days later, he married Jean Faircloth, suggesting that he had finally come to terms with the loss of Pinky. Pinky was gone, but her legacy would continue to influence her son's life and worldview. It would also play a significant role in his decision to locate the MacArthur Memorial in her hometown of Norfolk, Virginia where he rests today. For 55 years, Pinky had provided her son with support and had recommended avenues for their shared ambition. Although he sometimes chafed under her control and vision for his life, for the most part he actively internalized her views as his own, particularly her idea that he was a man of destiny. While he always wondered if he had lived up to his father's military record, it was his mother who always drove him to question whether his successes were great enough. Thank you for listening. We look forward to continuing this dialogue with you. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please feel free to contact Amanda Williams at amanda.williams at norfolk.gov.